We're going to do something fun tonight, Bethany and I teaching. I know that's fun. But even more than that, we're going to have a few guests come and share about their experience around this. So um, to begin, let me ask you a question. Think back to earlier today, this morning, and what got you out of bed? <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny, but everybody's I think some of them are like, giggling. you mean in the afternoon when I woke up? Right. So just to like clarify, if you woke right. up in the afternoon. In the morning. That time. So, okay. So most days, most of us get out of bed because we want something or a few things, right? If you're a parent of a small child, you can hear your child screaming, calling your name, and you get up because you want the child to be quiet. Or like me this morning, and maybe you can identify this one, you woke up because you wanted coffee. And yes, and a moment of silence maybe before your family or your roommates wake up and your apartment or home gets filled with sound. Um, I also wanted to get up this morning and get going, go over my notes because I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to do a really good job. So Bethany's not mad at me. Uh, the point is, I woke up this morning with a bunch of desires and those desires got me out of bed and they got me going in the right direction for the day. And desire really can be a great motivator. It can get you in the direction you need to go. I can harness desire and have it propel me forward into my day. But if at any point desire is not under our control, if it takes over and is actually dragging me where it wants to go, if my desires are out of control and unchecked, there could be big problems. Mm -hmm. Because if you look closely at the dynamics of desire, you realize that desire is one of those things that is never ever fully satisfied. In the Bible, in the wisdom literature, the author of Ecclesiastes says it this way, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. In other words, you can see a lot of great things and then the next day you wake up, you're ready to see more. Another prophet of our day, Mick Jagger, summed it up this way, I can't get no satisfaction. So one of the greatest Christian thinkers of our time, Thomas Aquinas, asked this question. What would it take to satisfy human desire? And the answer he came to was everything. You would have to experience everything and everybody to ever fully feel satisfied. You'd have to eat at every restaurant and not just in Portland, but in the entire world. You'd have to travel to every country in every season. My wife and I got to go to Paris one time during the winter and I came back and I remember someone was like, oh, you went to Paris? Yeah, you really should see it in the spring. I'm like, dude, it was amazing. I just got to go to Paris. They're like, yeah, you should have gone in the spring. <laughs> Yo, so, thanks for that. So you have to experience everything there is to do in every exotic location, learn everything there would be to know have every physical, relational, intimate experience with every person you ever desired. You'd have to win every award, climb to the top of every field, purchase every item on the internet and in the world. So basically, you would have to do it all. And sadly, even if you had unlimited funds, time and space would limit you. Your actual physical body wouldn't be able to experience that. You could never do it all. And a theologian, Carl Rayner, said it well when he said it like this. In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we learn that ultimately in this world, there is no finished symphony. 
And isn't that the truth? We desire so much, we work to achieve it, to experience it. And in the end, there's this frustrating sense of incompleteness. And I think what these prophets and poets are tapping into is this reality that desire is infinite. It has no limits, it's never satisfied, but we as humans are finite. We do have limits. We can't do it all, have it all, experience it all. So the result is we're left restless. We all live with this chronically unsatisfied desire. No matter how much we see or do or buy or sell or eat or drink or experience, we always want more. So as followers of Jesus, what do we do with all these unsatisfied desires, with this internal restlessness? And the tradition of Jesus would say that human desire is infinite because we were made to live with God forever and be fully satisfied in him. And Augustine, centuries ago, said it really well when he said this, God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. But tragically, we continue to chase desire and to what result? A chronic state of restlessness, an underlying anxiety driving us increasingly into this life of hurry that we've been talking about. And which, of course, this is all only exacerbated by digital marketing and a society built on the twin gods of accumulation and accomplishment. So, is there a practice from the life and the teaching of Jesus to help us fight against this chronic restlessness and to help us tap in to the deep soul rest Jesus offers? So, Bethany, is there? Please say yes. I'm glad you asked, Gerald. Yeah. There is. And it's called Sabbath. Um, You know, I think it's fair. We've talked about Sabbath a few times as a church family. um, But tonight we wanted to talk about it in just hopefully a practical way, but also a way that connects even into this idea of a rule of life. Um, So it's important for us, I think, to start out by saying or asking the question, what is Sabbath exactly? I think in our current world, the term Sabbath can feel a bit outdated or maybe even disconnected. But the reality is, though new or kind of odd to some of us, as Gerald mentioned, this is a practice um, we believe is a baseline remedy or a solution for the chaotic reality of the day-to-day life that we're living. And we think it speaks really deeply to the restlessness that so many of us are experiencing, even today. Sabbath, by definition, it means uh, to stop, meaning it's the day or the time or the space where we actually stop. We stop working, we stop wanting things, we stop worrying, we just stop. And um, I know that's a novel thought to many of us in the room, and I think even sometimes it's mentally inconceivable, at least for me, But uh, this, like a very human level, human biology, physiology, sociology, psychology, all of these ologies testify to our need for slowing down in order for us to maintain any semblance of human vitality or health. Meaning that despite my agenda or your agenda or our grandiose belief system um, and our threshold for busyness or our like over, overly aggressive hunger for more, we are still at some level, humanly speaking, limited in what we can do or what we can produce. 
So we enter into this practice of stopping or of Sabbathing. We're simply entering into a rhythm of life that we're actually designed and created for. Um, a lot of you are familiar, but in the book of Genesis, we read that God, this creator, worked for six days, but on the seventh day, he rested. And it doesn't sound super striking when you hear it, but if you think about it, God himself, this infinite God, he rests. And he doesn't even have to. And this is, a, for us at least, a prophetic and provocative statement. This act of resting, this moment where we see God building into the DNA and fabric of his creation, this intrinsic need to stop or to rest, is monumental for us. He's showing us that we, too, are to take time to both delight and to celebrate as he did in the work that we've done while also at the same time remembering that we are not actually the work. So I think like the jugular out of the Genesis story here is uh, if he rests, so should we. Because for us to go against that is actually in so many ways to say to him that we know better than the creator himself, which is a dangerous place for those of us who follow Jesus to be. Sabbath, uh, as many of you know throughout the scriptures, is also known as a blessed and a holy day, or better said, a practice that actually adds to your life. And in Mark chapter 2, we find Jesus speaking to this idea when he tells his disciples, who uh, would have practiced Sabbath really religiously their whole lives, that the Sabbath was actually made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning that this Sabbath rhythm wasn't and isn't just a, a spiritual exercise that we do because we're really religious or faithful people, but it was in fact created to bless the lives, lives of those who actually practice it. It is, as Dan Allender put it, an invitation to enter delight. And in a world like ours, in our current state of affairs, who wouldn't want that or desire that in a deep, like aching kind of way? Um, as a lot of you know, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this rule of life that Gerald mentioned at the beginning. And this is, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's a list of personal rules or practices that articulate your values and purposefully help you integrate them into your schedule, your lifestyle, kind of your rhythm of life. And what we want to say about this is that we believe Sabbath or resting is the foundation to a life of deep abiding relationship with Jesus and is central uh, in, in practice to a life of peace. It's the opportunity for us in a very tangible way to lay a foundation in the story of our lives that's rooted in rest and limits and communion with God. And it's something that we believe or would commend to you, as Paul would say, that sounds really official and fancy, but we would commend to you this practice as a, as a key component to your rule of life that you're putting together even now. But I think it's a fair question, despite all the times we've heard it taught or the different ways we've heard it communicated, uh, for us to talk tonight really practically about what it is and... Um, as I was thinking about this, like, how do we practically hand this over to you guys? Or, you know, I, I know that all of us are coming from different places, different seasons of life. Some of us have more humans in our house than others. Some of us prefer less. And, um, but would welcome one and then the addition of ones that I create. So uh, that's out there. But um, it got there. Yeah, I feel like they connected. Uh, well, we all have different kind of ways of doing this, we do think there are a couple components that are key to Sabbath as a practice. So as you think about these things that I'm offering up to you, would you just think about them in your own context, for the context of your own life, because it's gonna look different um, for everybody. Uh, in her book, this is an incredible book, if you, if you can get a hold of it, you should. Uh, it's called Keeping the Sabbath Holy. Uh, author Marva Dawn suggests a blueprint, if you will, for how we incorporate this practice into our lives. And she says that there are four essential rhythms. So if you're taking notes and you want to, you totally can. Um, each of these rhythms are supposed to provide space for us to actually experience the delight or the goodness of Sabbath. 
Now, of course, uh, this isn't a perfect formula, so if you're a formula person, this is going to be a major bummer. But um, I bet you could create a formula out of it if you really got it's good. Wild. It's more framework. Good yeah, framework. Yeah, it's more of a framework uh, for kind of how to do it. Um, so uh, so sh I'm going to give them to you four points. The first, she says, is that we've got to stop. Not, not that novel, considering what I just said. Um, if you uh, look at the translation for the word Shabbat or Sabbath, it, is literally to, it means literally to stop. So how do we implement this? I think first and foremost, the most obvious step would be to stop working for a day. Um, and I think it's important for us in this moment to just delineate for a second um, between Sabbath and a day off, because some of us think they're one and the same, and they're actually not at all. A day off is where we do all the work we don't get paid for. Do you know what I mean? which is really disappointing. Uh, we have to do like, we have to do mowing the lawn. Mowing, no, do I don't mowing. have to. It's just like running errands. Yeah, you like run errands or do the dishes or clean your house or whatever you don't get paid for. Um, and then on the Sabbath, we actually stop, not just our paid work and unpaid work, but all work together. Um, we even stop thinking about work, which is like a massive challenge for a lot of us. It means we have to actually discipline ourselves to not think about work, like what's happened or what is going to happen, which is a hard thing to do. Uh, but I think even more importantly in Sabbath, there's also a call to stop worrying. You know, we're in a culture where this is like so crazy. Our anxiety is so high and we have so many things going on. But this is the day where we're called to stop worrying, uh, to stop not just uh, carrying, carrying those physical burdens that we do or those physical routines, but to actually stop carrying the intellectual, the emotional, the relation, relational and even spiritual burdens that we're carrying. In Sabbath, we get to practice stopping, which is actually just placing your trust in God. And it's in stopping that we actually do that. We actually exhibit that to the Lord himself. Um, finally, in Sabbath, just another quick note on stopping. We are we're aiming to stop wanting on the Sabbath. Um, our prayer as a church family has been this for a while, but we're continuing to kind of um, index our heart away from greed and discontentment and restlessness to a space of actual gratitude and contentment and restfulness. And we think that once we move into this zone, this is a space where we actually get to experience more life and more intimacy as a whole. Uh, Marva Dawn puts it this way. She says, intimacy with God cannot be rushed. We cannot enjoy the presence of God if we're looking at our watches. That is why Sabbath keeping is so important because on that day, we never wear our watches at all. Ooh. Go Marva. I love that. Yeah, okay, so we stop and you got that. And then we rest. Um, think back, uh, if you can, to Genesis chapter 1 here. The rest we find on Sabbath is supposed to be one that points us back to Eden, where we find this like soul-level, holistic rest. So this does include physical rest, emotional rest, mental rest, even spiritual rest. Um, but it also, just as a caveat, doesn't give us license to become a total vegetable, which is like what I was excited about at first. Um, that's not what the invitation is here to do. It's actually, if you're going to think about it a certain way, I want you to think of it more of stepping out of the rhythm of your kind of normal nine to five life and entering into a different one altogether. So on the Sabbath, you should have different responsibilities than you do during your regular work week. You should be wearing different pants, amen? Uh, you should be um, experiencing different freedoms, different luxuries. You should have less noise or more noise if you're up for it, or slower paces, and, and get to eat food, and really good food, or better food than you normally eat, or more food than you normally eat. Bless you. Whatever it is that, that you wanna do, do it on the Sabbath. Uh, I think, uh, this idea of resting is way more simple than we make it sound. 
It's really just turning over your kind of nine to five schedule and what John Mark talks about a lot, this illusion of control that we think we have and then to allow God to meet you in that space. Um, so there it is. So stop and rest. And next she says we delight, which is honestly my favorite part. Delight is when rest actually gives way to a feast or a party or a celebration. Um, I think it's easy to think about the Sabbath, especially in different times I've heard it, um, that it's, a, uh, it's kind of a negative space, you know, where it's like where we say no to everything, no to work, no to worry, no to wanting. But really, it's about creating space so that you get to say yes to delight. You get to say yes to the things that actually bring you life, like relationships or beauty or art or nature or food or whatever it is for you. Sabbath for many of us comes at the end of great weeks, um, but it also comes at the end of bad ones. It comes in the summer and it comes in winter when all is well in our life and when things are falling apart. And the hope is that, and I think the point is that Sabbath reminds us that it's okay that we're not okay. It's in those dark seasons of our lives when our prayers feel really unanswered and our dreams feel really empty and God feels really absent that the Sabbath is supposed to, supposed to kind of center us and bring us back to a space of peace, of resting and trusting in God despite our circumstances, not because of them. And I like that um, I think God was so creative when he made it a weekly rhythm. You know, it would have been my preference. I'd have been like, every 12 days, let's do it because I could be more productive. But he comes every week and he's so disruptive. It's like every whatever day, it's coming. And um, I think this is so beautiful because it teaches us to delight and even be happy in all seasons of our life. This interrupter is really important and us learning what it means to commune with God, to lift our head up and to finally look at him and to be mindful of what he's doing um, in us. Um, okay, so stop, rest, delight, and then finally we worship. Now, if you're like an engineer person, your brain works like that, you're probably thinking there's a bit of a pattern to this maybe, and you're totally right, good job. Um, when we stop and we rest, we actually let our mind and body go through a process of healing. That's like actually what happens. And it's then that we're actually able to begin to delight and to find joy in our lives, in the simple pleasures of our life, the beautiful things in our life. And that naturally progresses to gratitude, um, where we hopefully find ourselves saying things like, thanks God for this really cool thing, or thank you for, for the gift of my, my body and my health and my strength, or whatever it is. And gratitude, especially when it like um, ferments, it gives way to like worship. That's like the point. It's kind of like this catalyst. It moves us into a place of worship. So the hope is that by the end of Sabbath, we'll actually catch ourselves like breaking into song or whatever your jam is, or like lifting your hands up on a walk, because maybe you're like that. Um, or maybe you're just actually attuned to the beauty of God's presence around you or whatever it may be. That's the hope is that you'd get to that kind of pinnacle moment of worship at the end of Sabbath. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Sacred Rhythms, in her chapter on Sabbath, sees a similar pattern. And she says this, I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something. Good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it may never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. And I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight and delight to turn into gratitude and gratitude into worship. So that's it, family. We stop, we rest, we delight, and we worship. Um, and again, uh, we mentioned this earlier, but um, Sabbath is going to look different for everyone. So our encouragement uh, tonight is that you would just dream whatever your 
family system is, whatever, you're single, uh, ready to mingle or not, or whatever's going on. Uh, pray, dream, lean into what this could look like for you and for your family specifically. Um, and I just wanna say, it's okay that it's not perfect or if it's not perfect. And it's okay if it takes you a while to figure it out. And um, we would just say, would you give it a try? Would you just see what it could be? And I rarely, we were talking about this earlier this week, I rarely have like a 10 out of 10 experience. Like most of the time I'm like three stars. You know what I mean? Like that was pretty medium. And I'm just working out what that means for me in my season of life. Like it's just really different. And I'm a very complicated, complex woman. Um, so there's a lot of things that even I'm trying to figure out. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I'm just, I'm a single person. And some seasons this works and some seasons this doesn't work. And I'm just trying to figure out how to navigate it. Some of us don't love sourdough bread. Others of us love it or That's whatever's right. going on. Whatever your jam is, do it. Yeah. Um, and just try to figure it out. Yeah. Um, if you do want a little help with it or you're a part of a Bridgetown community, um, our practice is up for the week at practicingtheway.org slash unhurry. And this is all about the idea of Sabbath and how you incorporate it into your day-to-day -day life and into your rule of life. Yeah, excellent. Well said, Bethany. And now um, we're going to have some friends come up to share uh, what Sabbath is like for them. So um, we'll clear out some space here. And would you welcome them up here? Come on up, you guys. All right. So um, these are some friends at different stages in life. And they're going to um, share what Sabbath is like from uh, where they're at. So uh, we're going to go through three questions. And we'll have everybody answer them in a row. Oh, Janae's getting her seat right there in the middle. Welcome. So um, the first question is like, what would a typical, first of all, kind of what's your family dynamic like right now? And what would a typical Sabbath look like for you? Yeah, so our family dynamic has recently changed. So Sabbath has changed. Um, before it was just us, but we actually now have a very cute nine-month-old. But I know, thank you. Um, but she doesn't really understand yet that like Sabbath is a day of rest. So it's not like I can just turn to her and say like, sorry, Sage, that you have a dirty diaper. I can't change it. Wait 24 hours. So we've kind of had to just tweak our Sabbath and figure it out. And honestly, while I was pregnant, I kind of was a bit hesitant. I was like, I don't think we can do this. Maybe we should just stop it all together. And luckily my husband was very gentle and was like, let's just try. Um, so one note of encouragement is maybe you're not a parent right now, something that we found very helpful is starting Sabbath before we had kids, because I think then we're not trying to figure out Sabbath and a new kid. Now we're just trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this thing that we've been doing and just invite her into it? And honestly, I'm so glad we didn't stop because it's been such a gift bringing her into this. Um, I think because we slow down a lot on Sabbath, um, really our main goal is just to be with God and to be with each other. And so we're not really distracted. Other times I think with her, we're like trying to do a million other things and focus on her, where she gets our full attention, no devices, no nothing. And so she even is way more at peace on Sabbath, we've noticed, even at eight months. Um, and a few practical things that we do, honestly, we turn our phones off um, on Friday night. We do a slow meal together, all of our favorite foods, desserts, wine, like we just do the whole gamut. It's like the best. Um, we ask a few questions, take a few deep breaths, light a candle, go to bed early, and then come Saturday, it's really important for us because we do have a kid just to take time for ourselves. So Neil gets the morning um, and he goes off sometimes to the Japanese gardens and just likes to be in nature. Um, and then he comes home and then we do a thing as a family. We do something fun for Sage. So we'll take her to a park or 
We went to the dog park this past week, and she loved that. She loves animals. So just, this, just something fun for her. And then we come back, and then I get to go and do some quiet time and just be alone with Jesus. And so kind of having this balance of time for our family, but time for just uh, like, oh, that's her. Um, time for just, <laughs> hey, Sage. Um, time for each other, but also time with the Lord has been really, really key. Hey guys, um, so part of the season of my life is singleness, and then I also live with two roommates, and I am also work full-time, and I'm in seminary, so I definitely understand like working and going to school, and then I'm also very introverted. Like I'm pretty sure on the Myers-Briggs 16 personalities, it was like drum mark, Janae. So it's pretty high up there. Um, and so part of my Sabbath rhythm is definitely in that, and something I've learned is my life has gotten really busy with school, and I thought, oh, I can definitely cut Sabbath out. But I've learned the busier my life gets, Sabbath needs to be a key part of my life so that I can still live life well. Um, so for me, I'll turn my phone off the night before on Friday, and then I'll wake up in the morning and usually have like a centering prayer or imaginative prayer exercise. And centering prayer is where you focus on a word or a phrase, and imaginative prayer is inviting God into your imagination in that space. And then breakfast, which is the most important part. So um, I do a lot of bacon, so I'm sorry for the vegans. And then <laughs> a lot of usually like um, pancakes, peanut butter, and uh, syrups, all the things. And then usually the rest of the day is pretty chill, a lot of journaling, reading the scriptures. And I love, I went to Pals yesterday and got a novel and finished it off. So that's what my Sabbath looks like. And then sometimes incorporating friends into that day. One of my friends is in a single season of life with me. And so we'll hang out and have tea. And so that's the way I invite other people into my Sabbath um, who are in the same season of life as well. I like bacon too. <laughs> Um, so, uh, my husband Brett and I have uh, been married for nearly 30 years, and um, we've always, oh, well thank you. <laughs> we didn't get that last service, I guess you guys are really young. <laughs> um, so anyway, but uh, we never really called it Sabbath, we are kind of introverts and Sabbathing is kind of an easier thing for us to do, but since we've been coming to Bridgetown, we've been putting spiritual legs to that and calling it Sabbath. But, um, and we also have two children, so that's kind of looked very different over the years as we've entered different seasons of life. Um, but I would say a common thread, I know it gets a little boring, but it's food. Um, so we usually go out on Friday nights often, because um, we, for us, um, eating out is like our hobby. Um, so we like to try new restaurants and new things and uh, just really enjoy that. And it's a great way to end a work week because usually you're pretty tired and you don't want to cook anyway. Um, and you can be creative. Sometimes when we haven't had money, we do wine bar at home instead or something that was easy to prep and be able to eat. And then, of course, we sleep in. So on Saturdays, and we often would, it's probably more like brunch. We don't have breakfast because we sleep in. And we'll uh, cook and have brunch together. And before the cooking channel existed, there was PBS. And there's lots of cooking shows on that. And I think that kind of formed our pattern because we just really enjoyed watching those shows. And then that would kind of inspire us for our meal that we'd often make together that night so yeah that's, that's awesome okay so um next question for each of you um what is one of the main obstacles for you guys to enjoy sabbath 
Yeah, so I think for us, one of the biggest things is once, once you work out some of the practicality of it, like introvert, extrovert type of things, um, and even a little baby, uh, the, the biggest thing then, at least for me, was kind of pitching my expectations way too high. So I thought taking Sabbath was going to like, every Sabbath, all my life's problems are going to be solved. Um, it's just going to be, I'm going to feel so rested at the end of every Sabbath, and it's just not like that many of the time. And I think about it a little bit like kind of like having meals. There are some meals that you have where it was this amazing dinner, and you think about it like months later, like, wow, that was a fantastic meal. Um, and then a lot of just meals are just like eggs on toast. And Sabbath's kind of like that. It's, you know, some meal, you know, some Sabbaths are just there to survive, and some Sabbaths are really like these rich Sabbaths. And um, just not going in with too high expectations if you either, if you're just about to start doing it or if you've started doing it, but it doesn't seem to be um, like life-giving. The thing is really just like lower the expectations and just kind of take it one Sabbath at a time. I think one of the biggest um, obstacles to Sabbath for me is planning. So especially being in school now, just trying to figure out how I set myself up for the weekend. Um, before I would use Fridays and Saturdays, before I Sabbath, as like the chance to catch up and do my chores and meal prep. But now uh, that I Sabbath, Fridays are kind of my catch-up day. And now with school, they're also my catch-up day and homework day. So it just means in a transition period of life, figuring out how I plan the rest of my week so I can be ready to rest on Friday, and sometimes everything gets done and sometimes it doesn't. And so that's part of Sabbath is recognizing when I'm done and turning my phone off, even if there's still things on my to-do list. Yeah, I think we'd say the biggest obstacle is just, to be obvious, the, the world. I mean, the, the idea of Sabbathing or Shabbat stopping is, is weird. People, people don't do that normally. And so the, the, the constant pressure to just to say no and to uh, just make, carve out that time and to set it aside is, is strange. It's what makes us unique as believers, but it's also what um, makes, gives us the, the strength to go on, I think. Um, a real pragmatic example um, that maybe hits a little close to home is uh, I, was, I was asked to, to volunteer in the prayer team, so I, I, the, but the big meeting was on a Saturday morning, and I, I said, man, I, would, I told Gavin, I said, I'd love to do it, but I'm not going to go to that because if I miss uh, Sabbath, I'm even less pleasant to be around. You can ask Tina. Uh, so I'm just not going to go. And he was very gracious about it. He's like, no, totally understand. Self-care, that's, you know, most important. Um, but I, I think so just give yourself the permission to say no uh, and to be okay with that. Uh, because there was a time not all that long ago when I would not do that and I would just, like, push through. And like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it wasn't pretty what happened. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks for that. So last question is, um, what is the benefit that you've experienced when you've, when you've done Sabbath? What are some of the resu results that have been good? Yeah, so I don't know about you guys, um, but I'm really big on holidays. And so like these coming months are my jam. Um, and really Sabbath has become like a holiday a week in our house. It's like having Christmas 52 times. Um, and Thursday night comes and honestly, we're like, yes, Sabbath is here. Because it's all of our favorite things. Um, so I would say that's one like really funny kind of example. But I would also say, man, Sabbath, when it's really good, brings such clarity. Um, it honestly, I feel like during the week, I kind of walk around with these like very foggy glasses, but then Sabbath comes and somewhere in the middle to the end, it all of a sudden feels like 
the, the fogginess has been wiped away and I can see clearly. I know exactly what's important. It's like a bit of a reset and it, it just shows me what's my priority and it really helps me grow in affection for my husband, for my kids, for the Lord and also knowing like, oh, he loves me. It's just such a good centering point of my week. I think um, Sabbath has reworked my identity around being enough. Uh, we live in a culture that tells us that you are what you do. And so Sabbath is the way I let God know like, hey, you're in charge for the day. And that I just get to take off all the hats that I'm wearing um, for during the rest of the week. And I've noticed that as I rest in that identity, it starts to saturate the rest of the week so that I, I start to become a non-anxious presence as I go throughout the week and start to invite the presence of God in to everyday moments. Um, and so have this discipline, y'all. It, it's hard. It feels like it rubs against the grain, but um, it is an invitation to rest. And I think at the end of the day, like God's heart for us is to get us sit in those places. And for me, it's been the place where he reminds me of who I am and like recenter for the rest of the week. Yeah, just to follow what I said earlier, the, the, the following Jesus in this city is, is hard. And uh, I can feel it. I can feel it's like a, like a phone battery. The, every day that goes by, I feel one bar drop off, drop off, drop off. And then finally Sabbath comes and it's, it's like it's flashing. It's like time to plug in, time to recharge. Uh, so, and I remember John Mark teaching on this, saying that, that if, if you're rested, then you, you're a much better presence for Jesus in this world and in the city. And boy, that is incredibly true uh, for us and for, definitely for me. Um, so it, it's, I, I remember the Bible Project uh, podcast talking about this and saying that it's, it's a reflection of that seven-day cycle is a reflection back to Eden and that, um, man, that, that is really true, that God created that. This, this seven-day thing is a, is a real thing. It's wired into our DNA, uh, and it's just a little sliver of the hope that we have as believers to be, that kind of, be in presence with him that we'll, someday we'll have every day. That's great. Thank you, guys. Let's give it up for these guys. Well done. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. As many of you know, we're nearing the end of a year-long capital campaign to raise money for and buy this beautiful historic church building right on the inner east side of the urban core of Portland, Oregon. We can't wait. We're in the remodel project right now. Hope to move in in March of 2020. But right now, we're just raising money as a church to pay for this beautiful space. If you're a podcast listener, follower from another church, another city, and anything at all moves in your heart and you would like to give back and contribute toward our church and this project over and above whatever you give to your local church, which we're all for. If you have any questions or thoughts, just visit bridgetown.church/give or shoot us an email for more information. Grace and peace.